MSW Media. Big shout out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use promo code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. And thanks to Zbiotics for supporting the Daily Beans. Zbiotics engineered a pre-alcohol probiotic. Go to zbiotics.com slash dailybeans to get 15% off your first order when you use code dailybeans at checkout. News, Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, March 13th, 2023. Today, the Manhattan DA signals that Trump will be indicted in New York. Tucker Carlson's producer refers to Fox News viewers as especially stupid cousin fuckers. Jenna Ellis admits to lying about 2020 election fraud and agrees to censure in Colorado. Trump gets caught trying to play judges against each other to delay justice. And Mike Pence rails against Donald in his gridiron remarks. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. Hey, happy Monday, everyone. I'm back from vacation. As you can tell, Dana is still out. She will be back tomorrow. Her flight is today. It was delayed a little bit on Sunday, so... She'll be back tomorrow. And right now we've got Pete covering. Hi, Pete. Hey, how are you? I'm really good. Did you have a nice weekend? I did, although it's snowing here. So, you know, it's hardly the uh, 65 degrees and sunny you're probably experiencing yet again for a 300th day in a row out there. But I'm doing well otherwise. 72 and sunny. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> <Sorry>. it's a... <laughs> just, 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 just salt a little more. Just, you know, rub that in. So Yes, we have a front coming in of jealousy from the rest of the country <laughs> here in San Diego. And uh, joke credit to my friend Jesse Egan for that one. Also, Pete, you're the new co-host with me on Clean Up on Aisle 45. We've got our third episode or fourth episode, I think, coming up this week. And we are going to be talking, because you know, one of the things we cover on Clean Up on Aisle 45, you and I, is the uh, Jim Jordan Weaponization Subcommittee and the Jim Comer Oversight Committee. And somebody who sits on both of those committees is going to be joining us this Wednesday. Yeah, I'm super excited about it because one of the things, despite both of those committees being largely shit shows in terms of the majority proceedings, the Democrats have stocked those committees with a bunch of rock stars. And they're the primary, one of the primary reasons that the proceedings, the hearings have been going so poorly is because some of the Democratic uh, representatives on the panels are doing such a great job. And we've got one of the rock stars that has emerged over the past several hearings. And I can't wait to talk to him. Yep. And that is one representative, Dan Goldman. And uh, I can't wait to talk to him because I know you and I have been talking a lot about that 300 page report that the Dems on the weaponization committee put out about the quote unquote whistleblowers. And Goldman was one of the Democratic representatives to just flat out call Jim Jordan to the carpet to, you know, debunk those whistleblowers. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk a little bit about the uh, committee oversight committee hearings that we saw a little bit, and it's going to be a really great discussion. So everybody tune in to clean up on aisle 45 this Wednesday. It's going to be a great discussion. And thanks to all our patrons who support that show as well. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod, A-I-S-L-E 45 P-O-D. First bit of news before we get into the hot notes, Jenna Ellis has been censured in Such Colorado. A Such a shame. I know. Such a I know. Shame. What it feels like is at least from my understanding of this, is that she was 
going down the road of disbarment and they cut a deal with her. Say, if you admit to your misrepresentations, which is another word for lies, then, you know, we'll just we'll censure you. And so I think that's the outcome that we're seeing. A lot of folks are upset that they just didn't move forward with the disbarment. But, you know, sometimes getting someone on the record admitting to their misrepresentations can be uh, better in a way, I guess. I don't know. What do you think? I think she should be disbarred. But what do you think? I mean, I think it's clear it is nice to have in writing and in her own stipulation saying what we all knew all the time that in the case of her Colorado proceedings on 10 different occasions, she misrepresented the facts. And I think, you know, my reading of the judge's order said essentially like, look, since you only, you didn't do that in a filing with the court, these are things you said on TV, things you said on Twitter that the sanction short of disbarment is appropriate. And I I can see where that's frustrating, but I don't think it's over for Jenna. And of course, you know, one of the aggravating things is immediately after signing this thing saying, yeah, I lied 10 times. She immediately takes to Twitter and everybody that'll listen saying, well, it wasn't really a lie. It was a misrepresentation. But if you go through and you tease out the actual definitions as laid out in the judge's order, it it's a lie. I mean, there's no other way to say it. So I think it is good at the end of the day. She will carry that around with her in a permanent sort of way that she can't ever talk around. And the people who are inclined to believe her are going to believe her no matter what is said. But now you've got an outside independent body. You've got a judge, you know, essentially accepting her own acceptance of lying time and time and time again, 10 times, at least that Colorado looked at. So, you know, of course there are more. So on balance, while I'm frustrated, I, I am happy and pleased with this result. I'm curious to see what at the end of the day, you know, when you look at this entire cabal of insurrectionist attorneys, all the attorneys who worked on the various bullshit state lawsuits, all the attorneys who worked on the, you know, the fake electors and everything else, how many of that, and truly there are 20, 30 or more of them and entities and nonprofits looking at trying to hold them to account and bring bar actions against them. If at the end of the day, you know, it's only Rudy. I mean, Cindy Powell didn't even get hers, you know, the Texas judge. And it was interesting because there's been some stuff, you know, I didn't really, the judge in that case threw out the Texas State Bar's recommendation that she be disbarred said that there were the faults in the filing and that the the bar entity or whoever was arguing it on behalf of the bar entity did not remedy them in time. I've seen some reporting since then that indicated that's not really entirely accurate and raising some question about the motives of the judge who threw it out. But the bottom line is, if we get to some point in the future and it's only Rudy Giuliani who's lost his law license, maybe, you know, we get a prosecution of John Eastman and uh, and, and Jeffrey Rosen just because they were so crappily, horribly involved in criminal activity. But if the bar associations of the various lawyers in the United States of America get to the point three, four, five years from now where they have sanctioned two of all these attorneys, there's a problem with that profession. And I don't know who and what it's going to take for, you know, the sort of cumulative ethical responsibility and sense of morality and and appropriate behavior on part of American lawyers to fix it. But we'll see where it goes. And, you know, we're not done yet, but, you know, I don't know. Having when 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 Sidney Powell escaped any sort of uh, discipline that that really I think that much more than Jenna Ellis really caused me to to stop and, and scratch my head a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, and they can still appeal down there in Texas with Sidney Powell, and and you know currently Sidney Powell is under criminal federal criminal investigation for her disbursements from her pack. Uh, and possibly paying, you know, oath keepers, defense attorneys. Uh, we still haven't fully understood you know, where all that money went. We know Jack Smith is looking at all the Trump packs, and we know Jenna Ellis could be in criminal jeopardy as well for her role in the fraudulent electors scheme. So 
we'll see where this all ends up and after all the dust settles. But yeah, if only two people get sent, you know, censured or disbarred out of all of those uh, attorneys. Now we know there was Alina Haba has been hit with a million dollar sanctions fine. We know that uh, there was sanctions up in Michigan with the Kraken strike force. But looking at that and if they can't get more than one person disbarred or at least have their law license suspended, I agree. It's time to relook at that whole process and, and why it why it takes three years to do. So we'll, you know, we'll see when the dust settles, but there definitely needs to be some policy rethink if that's the end result. All right. We have a lot of news to get to today <laughs> besides just that. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from Helderman and Dazi at the Washington Post. As Rudy Giuliani railed about voter fraud from the lobby of the Republican National Committee's headquarters a few weeks after the November 2020 election, rivulets of hair dye running down the side of his face, an executive at the Fox Corporation let loose in text messages with his reaction. Quote, this sounds so fucking crazy, BT dubs. That's Raj Shah, who had served as a senior aide in Trump's White House for two years before he was hired at Fox. Rudy looks awful, a deputy wrote back, prompting Shah to respond that he objectively looks like he was a dead person voting two weeks ago. (laughs) After Fox News called Arizona for Biden on election night, earlier than the other networks, part of Shah's job became to manage the rage of Trump, but mostly his supporters. The Giuliani News Conference on November 19th deepened Fox's dilemma. The former New York mayor appeared alongside attorney Sidney Powell, whom Giuliani referred to as one of the campaign's senior lawyers. Powell had by then been featured repeatedly on Fox, where she lobbed false allegations that voting machines sold by Dominion had been manipulated in key swing states to flip votes from Trump to Biden. Privately, however, texts released in the lawsuit show that Fox hosts and producers were growing frustrated with Sidney Powell. Quote, Sidney Powell is lying. That's Tucker Carlson in November 17th texts. On the night of the news conference, Carlson opened his show expressing doubts about Sidney Powell. He told his viewers that he had taken her claims seriously, but had been urging her to produce evidence of her claims without any success. Quote, she never sent us any evidence, despite a lot of polite requests. When we kept pressing, she got angry and told us to stop contacting her. That's what Tucker said. The monologue earned Tucker Carlson some pushback from the far right. That's putting it mildly, including from Powell herself who appeared on Fox rival Newsmax to declare Carlson abrasive and disrespectful. Shaw swung into action, that's Raj Shah, and deployed his contacts in Trump's world, appearing to act more as a political operative than a traditional news network exec. Quote, after criticism from social media for Tucker's segment questioning Sidney Powell's outlandish voter fraud claims, our consultants and I coordinated an effort to generate Trump administration pushback against her claims. That's what he wrote in an email to his bosses a few days later. He went on to say, we encouraged several sources within the administration to tell reporters that Powell offered no evidence for her claims and didn't speak for the president. And indeed, on November 22nd, Trump's campaign issued a statement attributed to Rudy Giuliani and fellow campaign attorney Jenna Ellis, who we were just talking about, declaring that Powell was practicing law on her own and was not a member of Trump's legal team. I remember that. Despite his behind the scenes lobbying, Shaw counseled a middle course in dealing with her claims on the air. On the day after Carlson publicly challenged Powell, Shaw and Carlson producers weighed whether Carlson should devote time in his next show to Powell's claim that she had an affidavit that would link Dominion to Venezuela. Quote, might want to address this, but this stuff is so fucking insane. Vote rigging to the tune of millions? Come on. That's what Shaw wrote. Now, Carlson's producer, Alex Pfeiffer, responded to Shaw saying, 
it is so insane, but our viewers believe it. So addressing it again, how her stupid Venezuela affidavit isn't proof, could insult them. And that could insult their viewers, right? <laughs> Telling the truth could insult them. Wait, though, because the big insult to their viewers comes here in a second. Shaw advised that Carlson should mention the affidavit, noting it was not new information, not proof, but then quickly pivot to being deferential. Pfeiffer, who has since left the network, answered that the delicate dance was, quote, surreal. Quote, it's like negotiating with terrorists, he said, but especially dumb ones, cousin fucking types, not Saudi royalty, unquote. I'm glad he's, he's acknowledging yeah, that the <laughs> Saudi royals yeah, I, are terrorists. <laughs> and as I looked online, apparently, like, I, I don't know if the Washington Post or somebody made there, it's, it's cousin fucker types, not cousin fucking types. And I made the mistake in, in my tweet about it of saying cousin fucking types, but apparently said cousin fucker types. But I, I just can't get over this i it's all that's still fucking your cousin i mean that's well, still... yeah, yeah 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 true true that's uh yeah and and not not the saudi royalty terrorists of course because let's you know let's have that trope hanging out over foxland as well particularly in terms of, i think what you tweeted the billions of dollars that they've given to jared's little investment fund so i'm sure that'll yeah. make for a pleasant icebreaker the next time they sit down and react <laughs> totally now get this on january 3rd Three days before the uh, riot on the Capitol, Shaw exchanged text messages with another former White House spokesman, Josh Raffle, who had been primarily responsible for handling communications for Ivanka and her husband, Jared, speaking of the Saudi royal family. Raffle flagged to Shaw a tweet noting that Trump's daily schedule now carried with it a vague assurance that the president would make many calls and have many <laughs> meetings and work from early in the morning until late in the evening, unquote. <laughs> Quote, I think what they meant is the president will wake up early and commit many, many crimes, including but not limited to obstruction of justice, attempted fraud and treason in an effort to conduct a coup. Then he'll fly to a rally in furtherance of the same. That's what Nailed Raffel it. wrote. N Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> now he's now a public relations executive in New York. Yeah, not he for long. <laughs> he, de he declined to comment on that text. I think what they meant. <laughs> he'll commit many, many crimes. <laughs> Quote, it's really disheartening, Shaw responded. The only clear-cut evidence of voter fraud is the failed attempts from Trump. Oh. <laughs> so this uh, Dominion lawsuit is just the gift that keeps on giving, Pete. Yeah, and I, again, the more I think about it, I just don't think at this point that Dominion knows they have them where they want them. And any sort of, you know, suggestion that they settle, I don't know why dominion would do it and so we're gonna I, my opinion i would be willing to bet there's a decent chance we go to trial and what we've seen and all the stuff we haven't yet seen there's more to come so yeah it is not it's not over by a long shot and I, again it just they are saying what they're saying the truth it is evidence they knew the truth and they nevertheless were so concerned about just maintaining viewership and the profit that you know it's 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 painfully obvious that they were doing this all out of profit, that they're not a journalistic organization engaged in any sort of journalistic endeavor. They're, you know, a propaganda arm of the, the Trump camp. And I don't know. It's, it's, mm -hmm. yes, it is. In fact, in the words of Shaw, it's really disheartening. Um, so, you know, looking at now this a new thing from Ben Terrace at the Washington Post in a speech Saturday night, former Vice President Mike Pence delivered what amounted to his strongest rebuke of Donald Trump to date, criticizing the former president for his role in the lead up to the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol, as well as attempts to rewrite the history of that day. President Trump was wrong, Pence said. I had no right to overturn the election. 
and his reckless words endangered my family and everyone at the Capitol that day. And I know that history will hold Donald Trump accountable. Now, not me, Mike Pence, not the justice (laughs) system, but history, history. Mother told me that we just need to leave all this to history to let them hold uh, Donald Trump accountable. But, you know, it was it was interesting because Pence was speaking at the Gridiron Dinner, which is a white tie event thrown by journalists in Washington, sort of a you know, one of these, like the White House Correspondents Association, like a nerd ball for, you know, inside the Beltway crowd. But the annual event tends to be, you know, lighthearted. It's it's largely typically humor-based. They have skits, parody songs performed by members of the Washington Press Corps. But not for Mike Pence. Near the end of his speech, he got very, very serious. And then in that regard, he said there was one topic that he wouldn't joke about. And he said, and this is his quote, the American people have a right to know what took place at the Capitol on January 6th, he said. But make no mistake about it. What happened that day was a disgrace, and it mocks decency to portray it in any other way. Well, we have a right to know, but not from me, you know. Not, 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 from, not from me, from except when I'm A, writing a book, B, writing a Wall Street <laughs> Journal editorial hustling to sell my book or C, speaking in front of you at this onanistic sort of, you know, crowd who of insiders who are interested in what Trump said. But but it, it's it's mocks decency to portray it in any other way. He continued quoting January 6th was a tragic day for our nation, he said. Speaking against a backdrop that looked like a giant spatula surrounded by roses. <laughs> Somebody said it looks like a, uh, a fly swatter. <laughs> that little, like, little fly that he had on his head during the bait. But, I mean, look, look it up online. It, to me, it's, yes, it was a, a giant spatula or fly swatter surrounded by roses. Quote, it was not, as some would have us believe, a matter of tourists peacefully enjoying our capital. Tourists don't injure 140 police officers by simply sightseeing. Tourists don't break down doors to get to the Speaker of the House. Tourists don't threaten public officials, unquote. It was a strange place to make news. And then again, Pence was simply stating the obvious. Now, the fact is, the remarks were newsworthy. That was funny, but eh, not really. And I just can't, you know, I, I, I can't get around just the manifest cowardice again and again and again of what Mike Pence is willing to do compared to what he isn't. Yeah. And I wonder if this makes it harder for him to invoke the speech or debate privilege. Maybe that's by design. You know, maybe, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe he just wants to look like he's fighting it in court, but like to make sure he loses and, and loses quickly. I'm not sure, but he doesn't seem to me to have a courageous bone in his body. So we'll see. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I think every single time he does things like this and makes public statements about it, it undercuts his argument about being exempt from testifying, claiming some sort of privilege, which he is piercing time and time and time or waving time and time and time again. And I, again, just going to the man's character, if it just go do the right thing. Why sit there on the one hand to sit there and say, oh, well, I tried to invoke speech or debate, but they made me do it because of all the things that I gave them to be used as tools to make me do it. Just, just go do it. Stand up. Grow a spine. Be, you know, be, be viewed by history in a positive way rather than some spineless weasel, which is, you know, where you're kind of entrenching yourself right now. Yeah. Um, stop walking the line. You, you know, you're going, you're, you're never going to be president, but you're going to get the most support by doing the right thing. That's the best way I can put it. Next up from protests at all at the New York Times, Mike Cohen, Michael Cohen, the former fixer. Uh, is expected to testify before a Manhattan grand jury next week, this week, I should say, a sign that prosecutors are poised to indict the former president for his role in paying hush money to a porn star. That's according to people with knowledge. 
The Manhattan DA's office has already questioned at least seven other people before the grand jury, hearing evidence about the hush money deal, according to several other people with knowledge of the inquiry, potentially making Cohen the last witness. Once he has testified, nearly every crucial player in the hush money matter will have appeared before the grand jury, with the exception of Stormy Daniels herself, who may not be called. It would be highly unusual for a prosecutor in a high-profile white-collar case to go through a weeks-long presentation of evidence and question nearly every relevant witness without intending to indict. Cohen's testimony is a second strong indication that the DA, Alvin Bragg, will ask the grand jury to indict the former guy, possibly as soon as this month. The first you know, indication came when Bragg's prosecutors told Trump's lawyers that if he wanted to testify before the grand jury, he could do so this week. That's according to people with knowledge. Such offers almost always indicate an indictment is close. And the difference, people are like, well, why is Cohen a second indication that he's going to indict? Uh, all of Cohen's previous appearances with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office have been meetings with prosecutors at the DA's office. This is his first time going in front of the grand jury to, to provide his testimony. So that's the difference here. Because, you know, a lot of people were confused. Well, he's been talking to the DA for a while. Why is this one a hint that there's going to be an indictment? And I think it's more about the timing of the indictment uh, and the fact that he's being brought in front of the actual grand jury instead of just meeting with prosecutors. And, you know, some of these other people who've testified include Keith Davidson and Pecker, David Pecker from AMI and the National Enquirer. And they had a racket going on, them and Cohen, back in the day to catch and kill. They did it with Karen McDougal, these three lawyers. They did it with Stormy Daniel Daniels, these, uh, well, two lawyers and Pecker. And then, you know, they even did it. You remember, I know you remember, Broidy. Remember Broidy paying $1.6 million to, sure. a, to a mistress for, to keep hush money for an abortion? That was also brokered by Cohen and Davidson. So the second underlying crime here could be campaign finance fraud, but it could also be conspiracy. Uh, so we'll see. And then, of course, we talked a little bit about the statute of limitations. Uh, I have now seen a check that was signed over that was signed by Donald Trump to Michael Cohen October 18th of 2017. And when you add five years to that, along with the 228 days that Governor Cuomo told the statute of limitations in New York, plus any time Trump was outside of New York when he moved to Florida, that can also count to toll statute of limitations. We're looking at like June. So I don't think this is necessarily a last minute thing. However, I, I'm pretty sure that the Trump lawyers will argue statute of limitations as a defense, and the response from the DA's office will tell us what they, uh, how they were calculating uh, statute of limitations on these laws and what those statutes are. I've been guessing just only because I've got money on what exact day Trump will be indicted, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, we'll see. They go on to say in New York, potential defendants like Trump have the right to answer questions in the grand jury shortly before they're indicted. It's a little different than a federal grand jury, but they rarely testify because you get full immunity. You can't plead the fifth. And as we know, he pled the fifth, what, 480 times to the New York Attorney General Tish James. So he's probably not going to show up. Right. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, as a district attorney, as a prosecutor, you don't bring in all these people in front of the grand jury if your intention is to simply tell them a story and say, okay, thanks for your time. You can go. You do this because you intend to seek charges. And Michael Cohen is great. They call him a summation witness. Somebody, you know, A, he was in probably amongst the best position of all these people to know exactly what Donald Trump wanted to do and why he was doing it. So he, unlike people like, you know, David Pecker, which is an awesome name for the kind of guy the man is. But they don't, these people have like little snapshots into certain activities. 
But Cohen is more than probably anybody else other than Donald Trump himself, one of these people who can frame the entire episode and the entire sort of case. So if you're a prosecutor trying to lay out your theory of case to the grand jury, you can bring in this witness and formal Michael Cohen is a very persuasive speaker and sort of walk through the entirety of everything that you're trying to show the grand jury that he did. So it, it is a logical last step. Cohen is a logical person to do it. You know, I, 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 Beyond the statute of limitations concerns, I am a little bit nervous about, you know, the second crime that they need to bring to raise it from a misdemeanor to a felony, doing that in potentially a novel way, doing it in potentially a novel way vis-a-vis -a, -vis a former president of the United States. I was reading some article about, you know, way back when John Edwards was the U.S. government sought to and did try and charge him resulting in a hung jury. And it was a very similar sort of thing about whether or not payments that were made to somebody represented a campaign uh, donation or not. Not, but it is you know a, who was on that John Edwards case? Uh, who? Jack Smith. Oh, Jack Smith, our special <laughs> so, there, so he. So again, I, I I'm certain that is not lost on Jack Smith. But it's good because you know, and he's got people on his team that. Um, Oh, the uh, I'm freeing his name, the governor of Virginia that they tried to prosecute that uh, it also didn't work out. But I mean, these are can be challenging, certainly public corruption type crimes can be very challenging to obtain a conviction. And I'm certain, you know, clearly Jack Smith knows that the people on his team know that. I hope Bragg is thinking about that. Maybe they've made a conscious decision. It doesn't matter. They're going to try and do it anyway, because anybody else they would have brought charges. But again, you know, I haven't, I'm not party to your bet, but I would think within maybe not next week, but the week after that, we see an indictment. Yeah, could be. And uh, of course, you can follow at indictments only if you're interested <laughs> in only indictment news on Twitter. You got that Twitter, Twitter name soon <laughs> before anybody else grabbed it. I did. Yeah, it's already there. Uh, I remember that when the whole uh, pecker immunity came out. I mean, there's just the, the, the pecker jokes never ended. We had pecker leaks and all this. Stuff. Like, uh, just, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a fun time. <laughs> this, is, this is a family show, right? <laughs> in the dark days, uh, of, of the, the Trump years. Um, but I you knew when I was young, there was a movie that came out called pecker. And it was like when I was in high school and you could call back then in order to get movie times, we didn't have the internet. You would call movie phone, right? And the guy would answer, hello, thank you for calling movie phone. And, you know, these are the movies that are available. And then you would select one for a movie, two for a different movie. And then it would tell you the times that that movie. And so I would call like at least 10 times a day <laughs> and and pick the, the movie Pecker just so I could hear the guy go, you've selected Pecker. And it's, it was just one of my uh, fun childhood moments. All right. What do we have from Jose Paglieri at the Daily Beast? So, so to wrap up, perhaps, Jose Paglieri at the Daily Beast, faced with an onslaught of expensive lawsuits ranging from fraud to racketeering, former President Donald Trump is desperately trying to delay several trials well into the 2024 presidential election season, and he was just called out for the scheme. Trump's lawyers have until Wednesday to explain how they tried to play two New York judges off of each other by double booking trials to potentially delay them both. <laughs> Trump already pushed back a potential late 2023 trial over duping investors to January 2024, signing a conflict with the New York Attorney General's trial over his fake financial statements to banks. But when Trump's team recently sought to delay that Attorney General trial, they got caught. An attorney has alerted U.S. District Judge Lorna Schofield in federal court and Justice Arthur Engeron in state court that they may be getting played. Quote, 
Donald Trump has a history of leveraging his presidential campaign activities to delay and avoid judicial proceedings, attorney Roberto Kaplan wrote in a letter sent to both judges. Quote, we anticipated that should the case schedule run into 2024, Mr. Trump will begin to argue that his campaign obligations must take precedence over his participation in this case, including at trial, unquote. Now, one retired state judge who has not to be quoted because he still oversees New York legal disputes likened the Trump tactic to a child who separately asked parents for permission to eat more and more candy to trick them both into a better deal. <laughs> Randolph M. McLaughlin, a law professor at Pace University, called it an apt analogy, particularly because Trump eventually did get caught. <laughs> McLaughlin said, quote, when children do this, go from one parent to another. If the parents aren't aware of what the kid is doing, the kid can get away with things. But once the parent is aware the child is playing them against each other, the game is over. And, you know, in some ways I can, I would sooner face the wrath of a parent than I would the wrath of a federal and state judge, uh, because this is, you know, judges do not like having games like this played. You know, McLaughlin stressed how rare it is for a lawyer to do what Kaplan did, to contact a judge in a separate case to flag questionable behavior. Quote, I've never seen a situation like this where a lawyer who's not before the court puts the court on notice on what the defendant is doing in the federal case. I think Engron is going to slam with this, McLaughlin said. It's highly irregular. Then again, we've never seen so many actions filed against one person all over the place. <laughs> Judge Engron has not yet responded to Kaplan's letter, but he's previously dragged Trump's lawyers into his courtroom to explain their delay tactics in the past at one point sanctioning the former president $10,000 a day for refusing to turn over documents and slowing down Attorney General Letitia James's investigation. Trump was eventually ordered to pay a $110,000 fine. By contrast, Judge Schofield immediately ordered Trump's lawyers to explain themselves in writing by March 15th. McLaughlin said, quote, delays work for the defendant, but you can only run the clock out so long. Eventually, judges get wise to this. And I think they're getting wise, unquote, he said. And continuing, quote, they're playing games with the legal system. It can be an effective strategy when you have one or two cases, but he's being pilloried all over the country in New York, Georgia, and D.C. It's like he's trying to stop the waterfall, unquote. <laughs> yeah, and I love Robbie Kaplan, right? She's the lawyer in the E. Jean Carroll case. She's writing into two separate cases, the fraud case, you know, where he, you know, the, the apprentice fraud thing and then you know the anger on Kay and she's writing in saying hey he's trying to play you both and I, I I know I'm not a lawyer in either one of these cases but I just wanted to bring this to your attention and of course I, I just love that Schofield is like okay yeah you have until the Ides of March to explain yourself Trump <laughs> so that's, yeah and that's, that's fast I mean that's not I mean typically you know the course they're the shortest period of time is like, you, you know, two weeks, you have two weeks to respond, two weeks to respond to that. But March 15th is not at all. I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure when this letter or, or notice went in, but you know, March 15th, it sounds like, you know, days, not a couple of weeks. So it gives you some idea about the court's state of mind about this. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, everybody, we're going to be right back after this quick message with some listener submitted good news. If you have any good news you want to send us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and just click on contact. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. These days when I drink alcohol, I don't bounce back the next morning like I used to. Uh, I felt awkward being the only person in a group not having a beverage. 
And uh, sometimes I would drop out of plans with my friends altogether. But now I don't have to miss out on those social gatherings because I found the perfect solution. Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics. We just did a bridesmaid, uh, bridesmaids movie trivia drag night at Moe's here in San Diego. And I wanted to have a frozen beverage. And I was able to because of Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. And here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in your gut. It is this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break that byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut, where you need it the most. And just remember to drink Zbiotics before drinking alcohol. Drink responsibly, please, and get a good night's sleep, and you'll feel your best the next day. Zbiotics helps me avoid rough mornings the day after I go out for a few drinks with my friends. Every time I have Zbiotics before drinking, it makes a huge improvement in how I feel the next day, and I'm able to bounce out of bed and immediately start tackling my to-do list. And now I wouldn't dream of skipping Zbiotics before a night out. Give Zbiotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com/dailybeans to get 15% off your first order when you use code dailybeans all one word at checkout. Zbiotics has a 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they will refund your money with no questions asked. That's Z-B-I-O-T-I-C-S dot com slash Daily Beans and use code Daily Beans. And as you know, I used to have problems sleeping too, not just waking up. But all of that is over now that I have my custom-made mattress from Helix Sleep. We all have different preferences when we sleep, so Helix came out with several different mattresses to make sure there's something for everyone. They have soft, medium, and firm beds. There's a mattress designed to help cool you down on those hot nights. And even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size folks. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. When I took the Helix quiz, I was matched to the Helix Midnight because as the whole world now knows, I like a medium firm bed and I sleep on my side. It is the best mattress I've ever slept on in my life. So after you take the quiz and order your mattress, which is designed just for you, it'll be shipped to your door for free and you'll never have to go to a mattress store ever again. They come with a 10 or 15-year warranty. So you get to try it out for 100 nights with no risk. They'll come and pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will love it. And I'm not the only one singing their praises. In 2021, Wired Magazine awarded them Best Overall Mattress, and they won Favorite Mattress last year at the GQ Home Awards. Right now, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use promo code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet. It won't last long. That's helixsleep.com slash dailybeans with code HELIXPARTNER. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play What the Mutt with us, where we try to guess what the breeds are that make up your rescue pup. Uh, you can send that in to us if you have uh, whoopee stories or stuffed animal stories or uh, the photos of your pets or your happy place or you want to give a shout out to somebody you love or a local business in your area. And if you don't have pod pet tax to pay, you can you know give us an adoptable pet in your area. Whatever you want to send us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Pete, first up, we have Liz Waring. And, and by the way, Pete, that's what my code name is for this show because in the beginning in the opening song news with swearing people think it says news liz wearing uh and so that's me and so pronouns they and them hello beloved queens of the leguminati big huge fan of the show never miss an episode ag and dg you are fucking awesome just one little thing as much as you deserve the week off and you really do deserve it you may want to know just how hard it is to start the day without you 
The fact that you warned us in advance does little to nothing in order to soften the situation. We're all cold turkey here. And if this is what it feels like on day one, there's no imagining what the rest of the week is going to be like. Just aside, just wanted to let you know how important you, you have grown to become in my life. And thank you for all that you do. In lieu of pet tax, here are some pics of my kids. Now 10 and 12. Picture one, a pillow fight slash trying to convince them to get dressed because th- I do that too, Pete. I'm, it's a pillow fight or trying to get dressed when I'm trying to apply pants. <laughs> Pick two, sailing on our leisure 17-foot boat. 17-inch boat? 17-foot. <laughs> well, let, me, let me look at the pic here. That's nice a 17-footer. Yeah, it's that is a nice, nice boat. boat. And pick three, at an observatory with two famous droids. The droids are in the middle. Thank you for <laughs> that clarification, Liz Waring. I appreciate you. Look at these cuties. Oh, my yeah, goodness. They're, yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, they appear, well, getting older towards the end there. But that 10 and 12 is a fantastic age. Beautiful kids. And beautiful yeah. droids. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, and this from Becca B. She, her. Hi, Beans Queens. Writing in for the first time. My amazing husband, Matt F., has written in about me many times, so I'm late to the game in writing about, holy shit, my husband is awesome. I recently had ankle reconstruction surgery and have had to stay off of my feet. Matt was there every step of the way with me, sitting with me for countless hours, listening to me cry and putting up with my bored silliness. He was there. He did an amazing job at taking care of our house and our pets, all while working crazy hours. He was a champ. I can't wait for all the fun springtime adventures we will do. I love that man more than I can express in words. Never settle for less people. That's awfully nice of both of them. Him yeah. taking care of her and her to say. It's wonderful. Becca and Matt are to be envied. They're a little relationship there. I absolutely love them. Next up from Susan, pronoun she and her. Hello, Bnets. I'm just writing to make an observation, which is not new, but needs to be brought up front. As a mental health provider for a lot of years now retired, I cannot take off that hat when I hear pathology. (laughs) The Trump CPAC speech was so strange, toxic, and menacing that I hope others noticed and are even more deeply concerned than before. Yes, it's possible. If he were in my office, I would be admitting him to the psych unit or alerting the authorities about a possible threat. Just saying. Now, my wife and I are the proud parents of two lab girls, Junie, 11, and Fiona Hill, (laughs) who is one year old. Also, one torty, Brenda Lee Johnson, great name. Our most recent tux, Tina Turner, crossed the bridge a couple mm. of months ago, and we have not yet had the heart to seek another. Enclosed is a pic of the two labbies and their latest shipment of most beloved items. Thank you for all you do. Keep it up. Susan, I'm with you on this. And look at a box of tennis balls, and the box, the box is for the cat, and the tennis balls are for the dog, I'm sure. Yeah, that's amazing. And Susan, I can't help but agree with you. Not only is it terrifying to think about sort of the personality behind a speech like that, but just consider, just consider in a year or half worth of time, we may be yet again handing him the keys to our entire nuclear arsenal. So let no. that, if you need, no. if you need help sleeping at night, consider that and Why get out and uh, get out and this mobilize, the, get all your friends. This is the good time part of the show. I know. But Susan, Susan, <laughs> Susan, open the door. Susan, open the door. So no, let's go back to the dogs. They're amazing. They're fantastic <laughs> labs. And you can tell the little one is excited to, it's a huge box. It's probably like a foot by foot full of yellow, happy tennis balls that they're diving into. Mm-hmm. So Bob and Maggie, around the time I joined as a Patreon supporter, my wife decided to test our dog's DNA since Carly is a rescue dog. Together, we have been through 13 years, a couch, and a few irrigation systems. Carly was placed at least twice from the Arizona Siberian Husky Rescue Association. 
ASHRA.org. It was time to answer the question for a Husky, why does she have such big teeth and claws? The attached results arrived early this morning. What's your guess? Thanks for the work you do. And let's see. <laughs> oh my God. So there, there are two dogs on um, a couple of, what would you call that? Chartreuse? It's, a, it's like a darker lime green uh, sofa and two single chairs are a love seat. The sofa is entirely shredded, all eight feet long of it in the front. The upholstery pulled off, the stuffing and batting from the inside pulled out all over the floor. And of course, the dogs sitting there with a not me expression on their face. Um, oh, and then there's a beautiful, beautiful portrait of the, I'm guessing this is Carly, right? The sitting on a street in a lovely sort of suburban setting with small, large hills, small mountains in the background looking very dignified. And I am guessing, I would guess as we zoom in on the face, I don't know. I mean, it says what you said they were a, a rescue dog from a Siberian Husky. But if you look at these pictures, I mean, these dignified little photos of uh, <laughs> this, I can't, it, it, it looks like there's some shepherd in there, but I don't, I mean, just an amazing, just very, you know, dog in their element. It's in the middle of a road, sort of backlit with a slight reflection off the road with these rolling hills in the background. It looks like a, a great place to be a dog uh, or anyone for that matter. But I, what do you think? I see some husky, some maybe Malamute, maybe a little Pyrenees, possibly, okay. uh, maybe wolf in there. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what the answer so, is. Uh, what do we have here? Husky Malamute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> husky Malamute, Akita, a Canadian Eskimo dog. And, and then, then a, yeah, some whoa. shepherd, Australian shepherd, German shepherd, miniature American shepherd, and Australian cattle dog. So, and, and wolf, there you go. And There's wolf, wolf. And, and one percent golden retriever. That that <laughs> that one <laughs> that one night of uh, <laughs> indiscretion <laughs> five generations ago, giving a you know the one percent golden retriever. But no, so good, great mix, fantastic, beautiful. In a beautiful world dog. of unrequited dog love, nothing can stop the true caring between the wolf and the golden retriever. The golden retriever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great. Oh, thank you for that submission. That was great. Um, I appreciate that. I, I've not, we, this is the first time we've had a wolf on uh, What the Mutt, so that's pretty neat. Gorgeous dog, too. Next up from Peg T, pronounced she and her. My confession is that I have turned all my hand-sewn COVID masks into a blanket. Uh, this is a confession, not good news, working on the same principle that leaving your umbrella in your car makes it rain, <laughs> as I may have invited the next apocalypse. Everybody get your boosters and lay in a few N95s, okay? There are a hundred masks in this blanket because having one to fit every outfit and mood is entirely reasonable. Family got masks till they hollered for mercy. Blanket model is Mr. Ennis whose breed is love and bacon treats. Build supervisor, building super, oh, the build supervisor is Henry, who thinks I should be paying him more attention. Thanks to you for being a thread of sanity to hang on to these past few years. This is a beautiful blanket. Yeah, it really is. And I can't imagine the amount of time it took to get all those together and stitch that. That's a, uh, oh, look, look at that. Proud, the proud pup with a, <laughs> bow tie and <laughs> looks like Ennis. a uh, apple an apple that's actually brilliant uh one of those little apple tags that you can put on your keys or in your luggage that uh you mm -hmm. can track things apparently including your dog which is a really smart thing to do um yep. uh, and then beautiful oh, and, uh, fluffy kitty yeah down at the end. blue eyes too right mm-hmm huh. looks like Fantastic. a little burmese or a mitted ragdoll or so just gorgeous cat absolutely beautiful 
Thank you, everybody, for sending in the good news. I have missed you guys. I know I've been gone all week, but there was an episode of Jack Out this Sunday that you can listen to. And of course, there were, we did an episode. Pete and I did an episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45. And like I said, we'll be back, Pete and I, on Clean Up on Aisle 45 Wednesday with Congressman Dan Goldman to talk yeah. about the Weaponization and Oversight Committee. And then, of course, Dana will be back with me tomorrow for the beans. So I'm very excited about that. Pete, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Great to fill in. All right. And uh, everybody, I'll be back uh, with you in your ears tomorrow with Dana. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. <laughs> I've been AG. And I'm Pete Struck. Sorry. Fell asleep with the switch. <laughs> <laughs> it's the suspense. <laughs> Have a great week. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>